0: This is the Business Storytelling Show, a top global marketing podcast listened to in more than 100 countries, live streamed on social media, and broadcast on DBTV. Christoph Trapp chats with industry leaders to help your company tell better business stories. Join us now for today's episode. Let's go. This podcast, my friend, is truly a work in progress. That was um, what that was. That's already an outdated intro because here's what I did I used an AI voice to voice over my intro. My previous intro was actually my wife, so she's out of a job for the intro now, even though she did a great job for many years. Uh, But the let's go, I just think, sounds super cartoonish. So we're not going to do that one anymore. Today's episode is the only one where we're doing that one. So Uh, Episode 609, Rob Biesenbach is joining me, uh, and we're going to be talking about how do you unleash the power of storytelling, and certainly that's an important topic, interesting topic, and how do we do that to influence our customers? We have certainly talked about that topic before, so let's see what different angles we can find. How do we do that? What's new, especially right now? Things are changing so much, not to hop on the AI bandwagon here. But I'm telling you, I never thought I would use AI for content creation to tell better stories, but I do. Um, Not to write the whole thing, but to give me ideas, to brainstorm, to be another partner in crime. So let's find out what is Rob's take on influencing customers with storytelling. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Christoph. (laughs) I forgot to do the whole, yeah, sorry. (laughs) You
0: have to admit that "Let's
1: Go" was a little cartoonish, but it will I, never it, ever come out. I didn't never. say car- I didn't think cartoonish. It got my attention. Well, maybe we <laughs> got to put it back in.
0: I thought it was too unhuman, but I thought the whole—you know—I'm a big fan of trying different things, getting people's yeah. attention. I actually cloned my own voice recently and did an entire podcast episode that way. So that was oh, kind wow. of interesting. But tell us about unleashing the power of storytelling. What uh, What's your take on the whole thing? And, and what are companies doing well? And what can they do better?
1: Storytelling, as you know, has become practically an, an industry uh, into in and of itself. In fact, I, I call it the storytelling industrial complex. There are all these <laughs> authors and speakers and consultants and facilitators all talking about storytelling. And one of my main complaints is people overcomplicate it. I, I suspect some people want to make it as complicated as possible so you have to hire them to uh, unknot the mysteries of storytelling. But I, I actually think storytelling is very simple uh, and all of us can learn to tell good stories.
0: Well, I was kind of hoping you would tell us why we, over, why we make it too complicated. I do agree with that to be fair. Um, But, you know, I came also from the generation where everything had to be approved and everything had to go through committee meetings, right? Like, is this a good strategy? Do we know if it's going to work and blah, blah, blah. And like, when I think about like even podcasting, you know, podcasting is a good strategy. Here's the reason why it doesn't work for many companies that do a podcast because they only do 12 episodes. Had you stopped me at episode twelve? I would have been like, yeah, podcasting doesn't work. Episode six oh nine. I know it works, hundred percent. So why are we making things so difficult when it comes to storytelling? And how do we make it? Uh, how, how do we make it simpler, for lack of a better term?
1: Well, I think part of the difficulty again is all these complex methodologies, ten-step processes, fifteen-part structures, and all of that stuff. But also, I think we psych ourselves out uh, when we think. When I ask people, like in a workshop, so who here uh, feels like you're a good storyteller? Not many hands go up. Uh, I say when I ask you know, who really needs help with their storytelling, most people, most people raise their hand. They don't think they are very good storytellers. And I think it's because we're just story saturated. People compare themselves to TED Talkers and Oprah Moments. Uh, golden age of TV, all of these things, these, these gripping, compelling stories, these heartbreaking stories. And I always tell people like, don't make it so hard on yourself. You don't have to knock it out of the ballpark every time. A story can actually be just very, very simple. You don't have to make people cry or fall out of their chair laughing. So first of all, it's just lowering, not lowering your goals, but don't, don't make it harder than it has to be.
0: I actually just earlier today wrote about uh, viral marketing and uh, one of the thing one of the points I made is what is viral, when you go viral, what is that anyways, right? So I had, we had a new patio installed and I had a before and after TikTok, uh, not TikTok, YouTube short, basically a TikTok and had over 50,000 views, right? Most of my YouTube shorts uh, have like a few thousand, very rarely do they go over 10,000. So is that going viral? I mean, maybe not for Casey Neistat, but certainly, you know, it's going viral for me, right? It's way above my average. So I think we do look at some of these big names out there and we want to be like them and uh, and that makes it too difficult. But how do people get going? And I know in your book, you actually, you talk a lot about emotion. Um, you know, emotion is important in uh, storytelling. How do you find the right emotion to bring in there? And, and how do you decide... Um, what that emotional type should be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's all level setting. I think the things, I think what makes stories so unique, and this wasn't quite in the book, this crystallized later is a story creates an experience for the viewer or the listener. It activates them on multiple levels, uh, intellectually, emotionally, and physically. So physically might be goosebumps, or it might be as simple as a, as a nod of understanding that says, Oh, I've been there. I understand intellectually as they can see themselves in that story and the problem that's presented or the character and their struggles and emotionally, again, it's, it's like a dial. You're not going to necessarily in most business stories are not really designed to make people cry uh, or fall out of their chairs. But if you can appeal to some level of emotion, even in a modest way, getting people feeling, Uh, Feelings of pride, feelings of confidence, trust. You tell a story that makes people go, okay, I trust this person. Um, Appealing to ego and, of course, negative emotions. Appealing to people's insecurities, fears of getting behind and things like that. So those are the kind of emotional touch points that are available in storytelling.
0: Especially in business, that's a that's an important one, right? I mean, we don't want to fall behind. We don't want to be the last one in our competitive set to do anything. Um, and certainly, there are ways to stay ahead. Uh, you talk about the origin story of a company, and this is an interesting topic to me bef- because, first of all, how do you tie that emotion into that story? And second of all, what do you do when the origin story is just kind of like, yeah, you know, I mean, it's not even that good of a story. Like, you know, somebody says, hey, everybody is doing whatever, you know, and let's do the same thing. And that's literally the original story, right? Like they didn't have a great idea or whatever. Or like, um, you know, when I was at MedTouch, which later was uh, acquired by Proficient, um, you know, they started MedTouch, Paul Griffith this, because he had a horrible experience when it came to hospital systems and the digital experience. So he wanted to help healthcare system so that's a decent story but there's plenty of companies they don't have them or maybe i'm just being jaded here in my old age rob you tell me uh does every company have an original story that's worth sharing
1: no <laughs> uh i i think everyone every company has a story worth sharing some you know you're talking thinking about like Country uh, Companies that are more than a century old, they may have some kind of founder who was an eponymous founder, like the, the John Deere uh, example I use in the book. And, it, and he got this great idea, and he, he built the company from there. That's wonderful, but not everybody has that. Sometimes the origin story is as simple as, like you said, you know what? I was a frustrated consumer uh, about you know, this particular issue, and I decided to change that. I mean, one of my I have a few origin stories, but one of them is uh, one time I was at a luncheon and I sat through the worst presentation I'd ever seen in my life. And I was so resentful of my time being wasted. Uh, And I went home and I dashed off the 11 deadly presentation sins, which became a book and a keynote and many other things. So it that that can be an origin story. It's just a problem that you spotted and you solved.
0: I mean, it can be anything. And, you know, you kind of touch on another section in your book that you talk about, how do you spot stories? And I used to call this story shopping, right? I mean, there's so many stories around us. And, you know, when I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, what should I write about today? What's going on in the industry? What's happening? Uh, What should we talk about? And there's never a day, very rarely, honestly, When there's nothing to talk about, there's always something happening. There's always somebody did something, somebody, you know, sometimes some stories are better than others, right? Or -hmm. sometimes you don't care that somebody was promoted. I don't even know them, you know, but at the end of the day, there's plenty of stories around us. Uh, So why do people struggle with that? And what tips do you have when it comes to spotting the stories around us?
1: Yeah. Getting back to simplicity, I encourage people to just think of story as an example Surely you can think of an example. So you are in a new business pitch and based on the questions, uh, you feel like uh, one of the concerns of the prospect might be, uh, it could be anything. It could be budget. It could be, it'll take too long. It'll be, is the, you know, this is the right approach for us? You can dig into your experience if you've been doing this long enough to say, you know what? We were we have a client who is in your exact same position. They were facing these challenges. This is the pro- approach we took, and this is how we got them back on the right track. So it's really just mining your experience for examples and just being aware of I mean stories, like you said, they are all around us, just waiting to be discovered. When, when I'm talking to a prospect, I mean, I can't help. I have to restrain myself because I can find 10, 15, 20 different touch points uh, to bring stories into the equation.
0: Yeah, there certainly is many of options, many of up, many opportunities to, to kind of connect with people. But and you kind of hinted at that a little bit there. Um, and I think earlier I said something and you were kind of smiling back at me because I'm like, well, I don't really care about that story because I don't even know them. You know, whether or not they get uh, promoted or demoted or or whatever. I don't don't even know them. I don't know their company. Um, How do you make sure the story has relevance and the right amount of detail, the right amount of, uh, you know, story elements, for lack of a better term, that the audience actually cares about? I mean, I'm like, I'm thinking... I mean, I could just talk for the whole 24 minutes we're on, right? So could you, but that wouldn't mm-hmm. be a conversation. So how do, how do people pick the right pieces to share for their audience?
1: Well, I mean, you touched on it right there. It is storytelling, as with any communication, always starts with the audience. You have to know who you're talking to. Who are they? What do they know? What don't they know? Uh, what are their objections? Uh, what is their mood? Maybe you can anticipate that, or maybe you can read it in the moment. Uh, You have to ask yourself a series of questions and really know them so you know the kind of story that will resonate with them. Uh, And also, you'll know how much time. It's one thing, like if you're at a networking event and you're telling your story, it's one thing... uh, It's one thing in a networking event where you've sat down on a couple of chairs and you're across with somebody and you're sharing a beer or a coffee or whatever. You can go maybe deeper with the story. This person is already intrigued by you and they want to know more. But if you bump into you're working in a large organization, you bump into somebody in the hallway and they say, oh, now, what do you do again? You're not going to tell them a five minute story. You're just going to keep it really simple.
0: It's So also what you mentioned there is like the whole in-person thing, which I really, you know, I mean, I used to fly all over the, the globe and, you know, talk and, and whatnot. And now I just sit in this chair most of my days, you know, and, you know, there's not a lot of travel anymore, but... Um, so what what's the difference between in person and even in the digital world what tips can you offer there I mean like you know even for us we can read each other's body language right to to an extent you don't see me when I'm off air but trust me I'm just thinking the whole time like best stuff I've ever heard that's the 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 body language I'm um, I'm showing even though you can't see it but what's the difference when you can't actually see the audience's results like in digital storytelling um, what tips can you offer there? How do we know that the story is resonating? How do we know what to pick and what not to pick?
1: Um, are you, are, now are you talking you're talking digital, you're talking virtual? what uh, there, that is in-person? actually a
0: very good question. I was really thinking more about when you can't get any kind of nonverbal cues, right? Yeah And so yeah that doesn't really answer your question either because I've done virtual keynotes where I couldn't read the audience's nonverbal cues because I'm looking at myself. Do you know what I mean? But every time, so let's maybe take them one by one. Let's talk about virtual when you can't see people's reaction um, and also when there's really no live audience.
1: Yeah, um, I think, I I do a lot of my presentations and even workshops virtually and not just during the pandemic, but clients still call for it. And I think there are ways to sense what's going on in the room. Ideally, if you can see them on camera, you only see two dimensions, but you can get a good sense. I think one really overlooked aspect, there are lots of bells and whistles virtual. You can do Mentimeter, you can do all kinds of different polling functions and all kinds of crazy things. I think the very best virtual tool is the chat window. And what you need to do if you're not sure how you're doing, it's probably because you're having a one-sided conversation. So throughout your presentation, you should be seeding them with questions. How many of you have, how, how often has this happened to you? Type a Y or an N in the, in the chat window. Or, you know, checking in with people. Said, so, okay, now we just covered that. Are, are people feeling pretty clear on this? Are You ready to move on to the next lesson? And, and they can type a yes or a no. And it just keeps people engaged. And also stopping for questions and all of those things.
0: And I think some of the platforms now you can even do a, a, a poll,
1: right? You could just be like, "Oh um, yeah," most of them now, thankfully.
0: So you could do that. I don't. I think that's one thing you cannot do in reStream yet at all. Um, mm. So um, tell me about what prompted you to write the book, and you know, kind of share your knowledge in in, in a wider way. I mean, you you do trainings, right, and keynotes, and all those different things. And then uh, talk about the, the importance of writing a book to, to share your message.
1: Yeah, well, um, this was uh, sort of a, another origin story of mine. I, I've been in communications all of my career, but in the early 2000s, I started a second career as an actor doing improv at Second City as a student. Uh, theater, um, commercials. And it, it struck me that everything I was learning to do on stage and in front of the camera could be applied directly to the issues my business clients face. Uh, acting and business are both about uh, bringing energy to a room, telling stories, expressing yourself creatively and with clarity. Uh, so that's where I, I brought all of those together. And I learned so much about storytelling in my work, both in improv classes and screenwriting classes and sketch writing classes that I thought, this is really important information to share with people. Because there are a lot of, you know, things masquerading as stories out there that aren't actual stories.
0: It's, I, the only reason I even thought about asking you that is because we had uh, Melody and Owen on the show um, recently talking about how do you your nonfiction book why should you how it helps you establish your thought leadership uh your personal brand so it's always interesting to hear why did people choose to do that i wrote a few books and certainly it helped my brand and now it also it just kind of puts some of the things into like more of a package right uh you yeah. got all these blog posts on on, on the topic but the, the book everything is packaged together When you say masquerading as stories, give us an example. We don't have to name any names, but what's like something that you see out there that's um, that people think is a story, but it's not.
1: Yeah. Well, um, a corporate history timeline is not a story. It's just a bunch of data points. It could perhaps potentially be a story if it's structured in the right way, if it has things like an interesting character and a challenge and a resolution. But mostly it's just a bunch of, it's a set of data points. Um, A quote from a famous figure is not a story. Uh, You know, it it might be interesting. It might teach an interesting lesson, but it's not really a story. Um, A report isn't necessarily a story. A story has to have some sort of conflict, a challenge uh, and a resolution to it. And it has to have a character, which may be an individual, it may be an organization, it may be the consumer, it might be a hypothetical person, but it has to be a character.
0: It's interesting when you were just, (laughs) I had all these flashes of um, corporate history outlines when you mentioned that, and you're correct. I mean, most of them are not, stories but you can make them stories if you say here's the problem we're trying to solve here's why this is near and dear to our heart blah 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 here's how it affects people so certainly it's kind of i don't want to say it's an outline to a story but it certainly can be used as the start to a story now you talk about um, the tools that people need to use in your book let's talk about that for a little bit and of course you know, I, I kind of hinted at that earlier. Some of the tools I use today is I use AI tools, you know, for headline ideas, for outline ideas, for uh, persona development even. I don't use it for straight-up writing because I think it, just, it takes way more time to clean it up and mm-hmm. to add all the stuff that you actually need. Plus, it doesn't have that personal touch right. at all. If I want to tell my own personal story, AI can do that, maybe on the back end with some editing. But what other tools do people need to have, whether they're software or just uh, any other kind of type, type of tool to tell better stories?
1: Uh, well, I think just having situational awareness, first of all, it, you know what it all starts with? It all starts with knowing what you're about. I'm about storytelling, presentation skills, um, the use of emotion, communication, Anytime I see anything on any of those topics, I'm, you know, it gets my attention and I collect data, I collect stories, I collect all this information. So if you don't know really what you're about in terms of, I guess, your own personal mission or your branding or whatever you want to call it, your priorities, then it's just like the world is a fire hose. But once you've narrowed it, suddenly you're seeing things that relate to your topic. So I think that's a start having the awareness, collecting them up, whether it's just in your head or an actual list or a spreadsheet, start. I I tell people assemble story banks, collect those stories because you never know when you might, uh, might want to use them.
0: You know, as you were talking about that, what I was thinking about too is um, really how I translate that for how I work is it needs to kind of start with a strategy, right? So it can't just be like people saying, Hey, Let's do some TikToks. Let's The patio YouTube short, it's fun, right? And it does actually drive subscribers, believe it or not, because it has such a reach for this show. So more Mm -hmm. people watch this show because of some of those YouTube shorts. Um, But there's a lot of people, they just go, oh, let's do some blogging. Let's do some podcasting. Let's do whatever. And you really have to start with this is our story. This is what we're going to talk about. Um, This is what we're about. This is what we're not about. And kind of go from there.
1: Yeah. I mean, storytelling is, is, is discipline. Storytelling is about choices. I'm going to tell this story, but I'm not going to tell this story. And, you know, in, in my speech writing days, I, I do, I do help. I coach people on their speeches these days, but uh, I used to be pretty heavy executive speech writer and you'd often hear, Oh, I need a, I need a, I need a great story to open this presentation. Um, and, there's a couple of problems with that. Like people will like go Googling for stories and you can find all kinds of stories online to support whatever point you want to input into it. But two things, number one, if you found it on Google, people have probably already heard it. Um, (laughs) It may not be real and it's not your story. I really encourage people to mine your own experience for stories, something you went through or something at least that you witnessed Uh, that way you're going to, you're much more likely to connect with your audience because they can, they can see that you've lived this thing.
0: You know, yeah, that actually, I'm glad you brought that up. I kind of forgot about that example in the book, but, um, you know, people just Googling stories, unbelievable. And, uh, you know, if you've heard any presentations before, you may have heard that same story already. Uh, Rob, really appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck. Good continued luck with the book. And, uh, you know, last 15 seconds or so, you tell us, how do people connect with you? Who should reach out? Who's your perfect client, so to speak?
1: My perfect client. Uh, People in organizations whose teams need help communicating more powerfully, persuasively, and authoritatively. So I I help people um, put down the PowerPoint, tell their story, and communicate like humans should. Uh, And if you can spell my name, you can find me. I'm the only Rob Biesenbach there is. You'll find my YouTube channel, web.
0: Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review the Business Storytelling Show on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. See you then.